Hello, I'm Angelina. And I'm Martin. And this is the CX Cast. Welcome back to the CX Cast. I'm joined today by Susan McNulty, based in Ireland. Susan is a CX transformation leader, and she's worked in a number of companies over the year, financial services, insurance, pensions, energy, biotech, creative agencies, you name it. I, I think, there's, is there any industry on there that I haven't listed? And she, Susan is going to, she spent the first half of the year working in creative agencies, working on large-scale CRM projects with some big brands, and since 2007 has very much been at the forefront of customer experience and the evolving landscape. And she's done a lot of work on journey mapping and done a lot of work on journey atlases. And that's what we want to talk about today, really looking at customer experience as a holistic approach, but very much around how you build a journey atlas, what's the relationship of a journey atlas to a journey map, and most importantly, kind of subject close to our hearts on this podcast, how you drive traction with it, what you do with it after you've implemented it. So welcome, Susan. Thanks, Martin, and thanks for having me on the CX cast. I'm really interested in, in atlases and understanding, you know, the power of them and what they're good for. And in my experience today, working with multiple different industries and sectors, I believe that the atlas is, in a way, the most comprehensive way to show a business what their customer experience is really like across the entire life cycle and all products and services, because it literally identifies and rates all the experiences that their customers go through, which ones are good and which ones fall really short of your brand promise. And also at a high level in Annapolis, you can see how much those poor experiences are costing your business and get a practical plan together to improve them. For seasoned CX practitioners, it's a way to get comprehensive buy-in for customer experience transformation. Like I've seen that these atlases can be the roadmap for transformation programs in companies because it steers company to taking a customer-centric approach to transformation and moving away from digital-only ad hoc initiatives to a more hybrid customer-centric approach because we're, again, looking at the experiences across the customer lifecycle, across all channels, and the impact that journeys have on each other and the interrelations and dependencies of journeys. It's a bit of orientation for listeners that are maybe new to the concept of Journey Atlas. Like what, what is it? What does it look like physically? And like what, what is the asset that we're talking about here? So I tend to work in mural and I've built out these framework and what it does is is that the atlas methodology literally has kind of two parts you'll end up with two murals and it's really just full of kind of post-it notes and what you do is you look at the identifying the customer life cycle for the particular brand or business that you're working with from awareness to research to join buy you know get support etc and then you start to work with a core group of people, I only ever really work with maybe three to five subject matter experts within a particular business. And we start to kind of identify and plot all the journeys that customers go through under each of these life stages. And then what you're trying to do in those sessions, it can take maybe three to four sessions. I work in 60 to 90 minute time slots, never more than a two day break between them because you're trying to, you know, keep it going. But it's quite intense. So you can't really expect people to do full or half days on these. When you're plotting all the journeys under the life cycle, you then are trying to cluster and consolidate them to ladder them up. So you could end up having maybe 300 so-called journeys. They could be micro journeys. 
they can be interactions and then you're trying to ladder them up and cluster them martin so that you get the high level journeys of maybe you know i don't know 26 or 30 journeys that are important for the customer in that particular atlas so then what happens when you have the high level view and we're fairly confident that we've got the majority of them down it's not perfect and it can be a bit you know rough and ready but it doesn't have to look beautiful the second part is okay so we're now going to look at rating the health of those journeys and the reason that we're doing this is is that we're trying to understand from an internal perspective firstly is that well are these journeys painful so we flag them as red are they okay we're getting away with it but they could be better and then we flag them as amber and then they say no actually that experience that that particular journey of interaction for a customer is good so it goes down as green or we've absolutely no idea so we we we, we put a dot on that one to say that it's navy so that then gives us kind of like you then see a bit of a heat map from an internal perspective but what you have is you've got the viewpoint of the frontline agents You've got customer service, you've got the sales team, you've got people who really know or are involved in these interactions with customers. So it's their input that I'm looking for at this stage and also product owners. And then once you've got that down, it's like, okay, well, can we, can we be sure that all the red journeys are really red or are some amber journeys actually red or green? So what we then do is we go off and we try and validate the internal rating with actual data. So obviously you bring in your NPS, your customer verbatims, your CSAT, whatever scores you have under the VOC program and then I also look for business data so hardcore numbers on say well you know defection rates or the cost per call so that you start to get a view of the number of FTEs that have to work for example in a particular phase of a journey like complaints to understand God, we've a ton of people answering ongoing complaints all the time for customers in this particular you know phase of the journey so so that gives you kind of a bird's eye view of the actual stage of play and the as is stage today for a business you're going out and you're picking all of these different journeys so we talk about bank you're going to have like apply processes service processes fraud management processes etc dozens dozens if not hundreds of different discrete journeys so do you do we need all those journeys mapped do we need to understand all those journeys before we start the atlas process no, you don't, because what starts to, to emerge, which is I find like this really interesting, is that sometimes you spot overlooked journeys or journeys that aren't assigned to particular teams or there's no owners for start to appear up and, and those journeys are flagged as red because our colleagues in the call centre are saying, you know, we're getting a lot of complaints on this. It's not, I had worked with one team, a, a health insurer, and they were like, oh, this is amazing. We've 334, whatever it was, number of journeys. And I was like, no, you don't, you don't want loads of them. You want to be able to get them down. So but what you start to do is you cluster them. So for example, if it was a, a GP visit, it would be, I make an appointment. But there might be a whole load of sub interactions that happen under that. But you're not counting all of that. What you're doing is you're trying to always go up to a higher level to see, like filling in my application form, for example, is that easy for the customer to do? Or is the, the processes that are there since the 70s in the business dictating that it's, it's a pretty horrendous experience? So the granularity is important. Yeah, the granularity is important because there was one retail customer atlas that we did for a retail business, life and pensions company. And when we went back and looked at it a year later, we realized that there were journeys that were forgotten about that weren't in there at all. Because, and this can be quite challenging and difficult for teams and leadership, is that 
you're starting to assemble and put everything into one place. So it becomes almost like the blueprint of the organization brand promise. Right. And when you're talking about a legacy businesses that I just absolutely love working in financial services and, and big insurers, you're looking at things that happened a long time ago and you're looking at hundreds of journeys. But what you're always trying to do is bucket them and put them into tiers and product categories like savings and investments. But you don't need to talk about all the different products that are in that, for example. You're painting a picture of starting with a customer lifecycle, going out and discovering what's out there, mapping all those together in, in a kind of broad ecosystem. I don't know, ecosystem is a reserved word in some ways, but a kind of a, a relationship of all these journeys and then bringing in data to work out what's the health of each of these journeys. So that to me leads me into some kind of prioritization, some kind of future planning process. Exactly. That's exactly where, where, where it brings you into the journey and um, prioritization. And I like to use composite scores on this to take the subjectivity out of things. So what we would normally do is, and again, let's talk some rough numbers here. So say, for example, you've you know, you, you plot out, you've got 300 plus, you know, post-it notes representing micro journeys the whole way up. We've identified, say, 25 or 30 kind of key journeys. And within that, we say that maybe 10 of them are red. So that means from our internal view and our data validation, we know that these journeys are causing a lot of pain points and, and poor, poor scores across the board. So you take those red journeys, but they could be all over uh, in different areas of the customer life cycle. And what you're trying to then understand is, okay, so we take those out and we put them into an Excel spreadsheet, um, never fails. And then we start to say, okay, well, let's score it against what's the impact on the customer? What's the impact on the business? What's the feasibility of fixing this journey? So do we have resources, budget, do we have the people? Do we have the tech to accommodate a change? And then for some businesses we put in risk, we'll look at, well, how much is this affecting our reputation? That's particularly important for a brokerage. And then risk and compliance. So I would use Forrester's tool in prioritization. And I know that Maxi has, has uh, and Joanna have done something very recent on that in terms of scoring it. And it's really important because it takes the subjectivity out of it and it really helps the business align towards, you know, from a customer's perspective, and a business perspective, obviously, in terms of reducing costs. But this is really the ones that we need to fix and in order of priority. Right. That makes sense. But then, Martin, you've got the problem of all the amber journeys because you've got to make sure that people don't forget about all the other, you know, 25 journeys that are flagged that need to be looked at. And so they then, in time, need to be validated with data and they need to be put on the agenda to be addressed when the red initial red journeys are, are tackled. And... I suppose from my perspective, I really, you know, I'm allergic to the word, you know, backlog. Well, you say, we'll put it up, we'll put, the, we'll put those on a backlog because really in, in life, nobody wakes up and goes, hey, I, I want to work on the backlog. You know, it just, it just becomes this, you know, death by Excel of an accumulation of work that, that nobody wants to deal with. And it always just seems to, to pile up. So I suggested to one business that we should call it the look forward to log. <laughs> but actually, if, if you if you take the Atlas and you talk about it can do the customer centric transformation and we look at really how long it takes to do this in a business of seven to 10 years, it's not you can't really ever do it in three. Then then they've got their roadmap across a number of years of journeys that they can tackle against the resources that they have. 
So then I guess you're coming back to it on a periodic basis and re-looking at, okay, what are the what does the data say as we get better data, as we fix things? How does that look forward to NUS log or whatever you want to call it? At least how, how does that change based on the business context? Well, it can change in a number of ways in terms of t- team mobilization, in terms of what teams are being put and appointed to these pieces of work. And that depends on the org structure. You know, leadership commitment to this is just hugely important and I think what has happened what I see in my experience is that when people see that journeys are starting to be improved and it doesn't always require a build and that's really important to say sometimes it's like improve the call center script sometimes it's a question of realizing do you know what if we look at the interdependencies here and we see that the the get help get support for for example intermediaries or third-party providers that are providing that's that's horrific for them. But if we fixed an earlier phase of the journey in terms of the onboarding of those intermediaries or the join phase, it would alleviate all those problems later on. So what you're always trying to do is you're always trying to look for patterns. It's not necessarily around, oh, we need to build something or we need a, you know, a new piece of digital or a solution to this. Sometimes it's just you can actually fix things by re- reorganizing teams. I'm kind of imagining this big map of everything and we've now got a spreadsheet that's color-coded and prioritized. How are you using that to drive kind of executive buy-in traction in the business as a stakeholder management tool to really kind of get things moving? So SLT or uh, executive management team approval is, is, is hugely important. And I'll do it in a number of different ways. I usually, usually my core lead in the business if I'm, you know, working with the chief customer officer, they'll kind of advise me on which way that I need to present it. So sometimes executives want a high level walkthrough of the Atlas and Mural. So I'll use that outline feature and I'll hone in on specific areas that I know are pertinent to the business. But there's a ton of detail in these murals. So there's no way that you can like you'd want to hand out, you know, salpidine with them. That's what I'm thinking. There's, there's a risk you end up deep diving too much and kind of rabbit holing into something that's actually not the strategy picture. No, you can't. So what I generally try, try to do, and this sometimes come up, is that if you're close enough to the executive teams, you can actually see the business strategy. So sometimes there'll be journeys that are red hot as in painful, and they're tied to a strategic focus that the business is working on in terms of, and it just gives everyone more momentum to say, yeah, our gut instinct on that was right and we need to get behind it. So sometimes I'll be asked to do a PowerPoint presentation. I might only get 10 minutes with an SLT team. I might have to do several walkthroughs with SLTs. And then one MD of a retail business, a very visionary leader, he and the teams asked me to do a three-hour workshop with his executive team on the findings from the Atlas, the prioritization, who was going to own the journeys. And they really got behind this. And it was amazing. And I think the other thing that's really important to point out here as well, Martin, is that I always get the teams that I've worked with to co-present with me because they're the owners of this. And it's really important that they get they get their voices heard on the stage as well. What are the kind of gotchas or learnings in this? What, what goes wrong? Don't make any assumption. <laughs> um, about... Good advice for, for life in general. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And anything can happen. So for example, I was, we were in the middle, we had done the first part of the journey Atlas. 
So he had plotted all the, de- the, the, the journeys, all the interactions with the life cycle down. And th- these were for a large insurance company and it was direct to customers. So it was a customer atlas and we were delighted with ourselves. And then when we got to the second part where we're rating the experience and we had the subject matter experts in with us, the second team of people, what we actually realized was that the experience for key journeys, for example, like I fill in the application form, was different, was a different rating depending on the product. So I was there going, oh my God, this, how can this be? And again, you start to remember that the atlases are representing back the complexity of a business, how products were set up and sold. So what we had was in this example, for example, making this up now, but just say I fill in the application form. If you wanted to take out a savings and investment product, it was, it was green. If you want to take out a pension, it was red. And if you want to take out a protection, like life cover, it was amber. So even within that, we couldn't have three different atlases when the journeys were the same. So what we decided to do was, you know, coming up with the color coding of the actual, we, we had this kind of icon in to represent the three tiers of products. And they were either green, red or amber. So underneath fill in the application form, you would have the three top products, but they would be in different colors depending on the experience of filling in that particular application form for that product. So, but that happened in in the second part of the Atlas. So we we didn't know that until we, we brought those other subject matters in. Another complication, and these are the most difficult to do, is when the business has multiple distribution channels. So when you've got, for example, the one product, but the customer could have a completely different experience with your brand, depending on how and who they buy it from. So if I have a, a company and I'm selling my products through brokers and through intermediaries and through advisors and banking channels, it gets really, really complicated in terms of how to represent that in an atlas, how to get everybody's voice. So what ended up happening with one client was we had a separate atlas for brokerage we had a separate atlas for customer and we had a separate atlas for the advisors because they all sat in under different heads of as well and so they were quite different the experience was quite different you're now looking at mapping the experience of the provider and understanding you know where they're having difficulty so what i tried to do towards the end of that piece of work was give leadership an aligned view of what's common across the three of them. And the only way I was able to do that was to look for patterns across the three divisional atlases at a high level. So what were the common pain points? And sometimes it's clear. So for example, you might say, well, look, actually, if we were to fix the claims journey for all three key distribution channels, and build that that'd be a big marathon but another one would be for example that you would be looking for improving access and location and speed to finding information and if we did that across all of them that could also help yeah so the the prioritization and the doability the feasibility of how big these problems are how much tech change you need that's a, that feels a really critical component of the driving action Yes, absolutely critical. And so IT's involvement then when you're actually mapping those journeys at an early part is really important because they said back to me, it's great to come in and co-create rather than being told, you know, go find this solution. That's a really interesting point because often we see kind of journey mapping exercises being a bit more the customer facing people rather than actually the people who make it all work underneath covers. No. So we would always map. I apply service design methodology to journey design. 
So my as is mapping as part of the discovery phase, which can then go back and redefine the problem statement. And then when we're doing the design, we would map out the future state. We would do prototypes. We would work in agile of all the UX teams in, the IT teams in, product owners, stakeholder, executive management. You have to have multi cross-functional teams in. Now, not a ton of people. You've representatives, people who know the product, who know the business. And what I generally find that seems to work, I'll do a separate walkthrough with IT. They like their own walkthrough. So speaking of advice, if you were put yourself in the shoes of you're a CX leader, you're working in a big complex legacy organization, which a lot of our listeners do, and you haven't done this, you haven't done a journey analysis, but you want to get started, where, where would you advise this start? What should they do to begin with? You can, you can read tools and reports on the methodologies and you'll, you'll find some stuff that might help you. I've had to build everything out myself in a digital whiteboard. But I think the one thing that's critical and critically important to this is facilitation. So I would say that the best people to do journey offices are CX practitioners with a very strong journey design competency and skill set. Because you have to understand how to map journeys really before you get into any of this. So find that person in the organization. And the second thing that I would say is the facilitation is critical because you've got to keep the teams focused. Because you've got to stop the in-depth discussions around jumping to solutions. You've got to try and stop everybody going down the rabbit holes which can happen because people start getting passionate about this. But when I'm facilitating Martin, I know what's ahead of them. And I know against my time clock, we're only on the first journey phase here. And you've got 300 of them to do. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, this is going to take, you know, several sessions. And so I've got to respect everyone's time. I've got to manage people in the session. I need them all to come back. And I also need them to feel that their frustrations and their pain points as employees is, is being captured. So you've got to be able to type really fast. I make typos along the way and I say, I'll clean it up afterwards. You've got to facilitate. You've got to do it all on Zoom. You've got to watch everyone. So it's it might be easier for someone to facilitate it and then somebody else to do the note-taking. But I, I'm never afforded that, really. I usually have to do everything. So it, it it's it's complex. I can see how, as you describe it, it's it can become a really effective change management tool for bringing people in, engaging them, getting them enrolled in the process and feeling ownership of, you know, we're actually going to create something that we're going to use. I, I also get the impression that we could probably talk all day about this, but we're kind of hitting time already. So any final thoughts, any final kind of bit, little bits of advice? They're wonderful when you get into them, but just don't get thrown if a challenge comes up. And sometimes you think you're doing a journey and actually realize you can't get into the journey because you need to do a mini atlas beforehand. And that happens with an energy company. So you have to be flexible and go go with the flow. And if a session's not going well, stop it and tell everyone that you'll you'll call them back and, and, and above all respect, I suppose, people's time. And um, because they've been talking about these problems for years. But when they see it all in one place, Martin, it becomes a single source of truth. And I've seen it tied back into business strategies. They are hugely powerful for customer-centric transformations. Thank you very much, Susan. Um, If you want to learn more, we have more content on forrester.com and Journey Atlases, and you can find Susan on LinkedIn. Um, Yes, do. Thank you. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at forrester.com. 
And as always, you can find us at forrester.com or on your favorite podcast platform. So don't forget to like, subscribe, and tune in next time for more CX Insights.